Many of you know I, I grew up attending Westminster Chapel here in Bellevue. One of the highlights for a kid growing up in, in this great church was our Halloween party. Every year, we didn't call it a Halloween party. We called it some, something more churchy, um, some great harvest festival or something with pumpkin in it, but it doesn't matter. What does matter is that every year for those three hours, there was games and magic shows, the uh, sleight-of-hand illusionist kind of show, so don't, don't get too concerned here. Uh, there were uh, food and friends and fun and just, just a bit of candy uh, with, of course, the dentist in the church right there to fill your bag with floss and fridge magnets and green lollipops. One of my favorite uh, carnival games they had most years was the dunk tank. N- not just because I had a decent arm and could usually sink the sucker who was sitting on that perch, but that sucker sitting on that perch was usually your youth leader or one of the pastors of the church, so that was just a blast. Uh, at, at some point, though, you grow up and you figure out how to get candy and play games without dressing up like a hobo, and then you start actually giving back and serving. So in, in high school and then into college, uh, would volunteer uh, with the team, and by the way, shout out, thank you, Scott Bradley and your mustache for uh, just running that thing so well every year. That's kind of an inside joke, but it was uh, a really uh, valiant effort for so many years, and we had some pretty good memories, and there's some in this room that remember building box mazes that filled up entire rooms and probably broke every fire code in the book, but you start giving back, and you start serving, and one year, I was asked to sit in the dunk tank, and you know, when you're asked for an opportunity, it's a new thing, of course you say yes, and uh, that's the last time I will ever do that. And to this day, I have, I have never thrown a ball at a dunk tank, and I have no intention to ever do it. And so if you're still a dunk tank lover, it means because you've never sat on that perch. It's about the worst possible thing in the world to sit on the dunk tank perch. You know, it starts with them filling up the dunk tank uh, from the garden hose attached to the church on the day before November. So there you've got that. So you're already shivering as you're sitting up there half naked before you've been dunked. And if you have been dunked, you don't know what's worse, sitting there uh, wet and fairly exposed with everyone in the room or with that next possible throw, like every thud, you're just, your heart just skips a beat, wondering if that's going to be the one to sink you. And if it isn't, then your reward is remaining seated on that perch while everyone else in the room gets to hide behind a mask and laugh at you. And leadership can be just like that sometimes. Maybe especially leadership in the church. You can feel exposed and vulnerable. Uh, Anyone who wants to pay a bit of money and take their best shot can do so. It's not a baseball, it's probably an email. Um... And you don't know if that's going to be the shot that will sink you. Meanwhile, they get to walk away uh, anonymous at times, dry, and maybe uh, laughing and high-fiving. Now, to be sure, those are the lowest moments of leadership. And every leader goes through them uh, to some degree. If you're going to step into a significant position of influence, you have to be ready to sit on the dunk tank perch. You know, Moses, think of Moses. He was grumbled against by millions relentlessly. 
His own brother ultimately turned from him in probably the time of greatest need for God's people. He spent his final 40 years in the desert eating bread and quail and never got to see the fulfillment of the promised land that he was longing for. King David, if you read his story, he is often running for his life. Both the king he served and then later even the people that should have been his people rebelled against him, capped off by his own son seeking to kill him. Jesus, we know, was slandered and persecuted and falsely accused. He was ultimately betrayed by one of the very men who he poured three years of his life into. Paul, as we've been seeing in Paul's journey through Acts, Paul was beaten many times, imprisoned many times, mocked often, rejected, slandered, and ultimately even deserted by some of his closest friends. And he himself warned against the dangers of leadership. That's where we left off in Acts chapter 20 as we've been journeying through the book of Acts. He, he warned the Ephesian elders of just the dangers, the dangers that uh, come into a church, the dangers that abound around us, that come in among us and are even within us. And he was speaking to church leaders and the significance of that call, but also the risky nature of leadership. And yet the reward is worth it. Knowing that at times it might seem like you're sitting on that dunk tank perch as a leader, shivering, alone, half naked with a line of people willing to pay good money to take their best shot. But while leadership is risky, the reward is so worth it And that's why I want to expound on it a little bit more this morning. Consider this a bridge sermon as we move from Acts to Ephesians. And so hang in there. One more week. I hope this is also timely for us. Here's a few of the motivations to come to this passage and these others that I've listed and look at at the high call and the importance of leadership. I want to exhort and I want to encourage the leaders among us. And I know many aren't in the room this morning because they are are women at retreat. But I encourage and exhort you who are leaders, those who have led, those who are leading, and those who will lead. I also want to let you know how to become a godly leader. And I'm going to do that today in, in a total of probably five minutes. And so hang in there. Uh, There could be redemption value here. And you say, how is that possible? Uh, You'll see. I do want to update us also on uh, leadership at Union Hill and some things that are happening amongst us that are uh, good, good things, good news. I want to invite you as as the greater body into that process. But above all, I want us to see and to know the greatest leader of all, the true leader, the head of the church, our aspiration, and our inspiration. And I said I would tease us with some passages in Ephesians. So let's begin Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 23. Here's Paul, considered one of the greatest leaders of the church, pointing to the greatest leader. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers, he's writing to a a regional church ultimately, so we will see that we can easily receive 
these words as written through the Holy Spirit to us. So receive this also as Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. Ultimately, that's a timeless prayer. He's praying even for us who still gather to worship the same head, Jesus. He says, I keep remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is a prayer, but that makes me want to pause in prayer and Reflect on this. Let's do that. Lord, we join with Paul. We receive that prayer. Father of glory, we pray that the Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that our, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know hope, that we would know the riches of your glorious inheritance, that we would know the power that is available to us and at work in us because of the Holy Spirit. And may we worship you, Jesus, who are over all things, who, are, who you are the head of your church. And for all of us who seek to lead, we come humbly, merely as under shepherds to you, the chief shepherd. And we give you glory and praise. Amen. We are at a critical juncture as a church. We are desperately needing more godly leaders. That statement is always true. And while we might be more acutely aware of it at at different seasons of life as a church, and we are in this season, that statement is always true. A pastor or an elder team that says we've got plenty of leaders is probably a, a few short years away from having none. We are always in need of godly leaders to be raised up, men and women within the church. Aubrey Malfers is widely respected in, in the evangelical church community as a kind of the go-to on biblical leadership within the church, he says this, he goes to the extreme, to the superlatives. He says, the greatest crisis in the world today is a crisis of leadership. And while I try to be cautious of superlatives, and I know he's not speaking frivolously, but I could at least say one of the greatest crises in the world today is a crisis of leadership. I think Paul would have clearly said the same. He spoke of it so often in his writings, in his letters the importance of leaders serving the church. And this is why he exhorts Timothy to raise up and to appoint leaders knowing both the need and the reward. 
that comes with leadership. In 1 Timothy 3, he said, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So there it is, aspire to lead. Paul's calling Timothy to appoint, affirm, raise up leaders within the church, and he says, aspire to it. That's a good thing. That's a noble thing. Now, in a moment, you'll hear me say again, the importance of aspiring, we don't choose leadership, but we do aspire to it. That's a call. It may look different in different seasons of life. We know that. But the aspiration is a good one. Specifically, Paul is writing to Timothy while he is serving in Ephesus. So he's in this church that Paul loves deeply. Paul spent more time in Ephesus than in any other city in his travels. And now he is writing to uh, his protege, young Timothy, to raise up and train even more leaders within a church that started strong, that was rooted and grounded in love and grace, that had strong leadership, that already had established elders. Paul is saying to Timothy, raise up more. There's a great need, and there always will be. And at some point, this church would drift, would drift from the love and the foundation that they had at first. And certainly leaders, or the lack thereof, was a part of that drift. And it could not be overstated. Paul loved this church so deeply, and that's why I'm so excited to see it, because we have this, we've had this Huge introduction, ultimately, as we've looked through Acts to the planting of this Ephesus church. It's really probably the only church we see in Scripture that we see the planting of, the establishing of, the growth of, and ultimately the death of. As Jesus himself will write back to this church, speaking of the end of his favor to them, that he would remove his lamp stand from them because they have drifted from the love they had at first. And so it's going to be maybe poignant, but also powerful for us as we address and receive this letter, one of the greatest ever written. Let's speak of just some of the rewards of leadership as I've thoroughly probably dissuaded anyone who's in the room saying, okay, I thought I maybe had aspiration. It's gone. Thanks a lot. Let me speak to the reward. It's right to count the cost It's right to, but the reward should also be counted and considered because it is incredible. Love is just one of the rewards. As we see the heart of Paul overwhelmed as he meets with these Ephesian elders and just weeps that he's never going to be with them again. If you move into any kind of leadership position within the church and you do so because the Holy Spirit is doing that work in you, your heart will never be the same. Even the grinchiest of hearts will be broken, changed, and grown. There's no other way about it. In that, you will be invited into perhaps some of the deepest relationships that could ever be known as people invite you into either the hardest moments and seasons of their life and the greatest joys and celebrations. And as you walk into homes or with people and you come into their contexts, There's something powerful that occurs and your heart will never be the same. Love will be experienced in a whole new way. There's joy. Add to to love joy. 
The joy that comes from giving your life to serve that which Christ gave his life for. The joy of knowing that the Holy Spirit ultimately is working in and through you to accomplish a work far greater than you. Ultimately, he's the one who makes all leaders. As Paul says in Acts 20, 28, the Holy Spirit has made you the overseers of the church. You've simply said yes. There's great joy in that work that has eternal significance. Add to love and joy, hope. The hope and the promise. The promise of God to do far more than we can imagine or think. The hope that comes in knowing ultimately we can't really screw it up. God has promised to accomplish his work through his church. We have that promise also in Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose, the purpose, the plan of him who works out all things, all things in accordance to the counsel of his will. We'll get into the sovereignty of God and the call of God, and that's a, those are some powerful themes that we'll address that Paul addresses in the first chapter. But hear this. If you're a leader or aspiring to lead or, or even wondering if and feeling a hesitation of there's too much, I'm not enough, I couldn't make a difference, what if I mess things up? We have a God who has promised to work out all things in conformity with the purpose of his will, of his plan. It is not about you. It is not about me. We have one greater, and so we come in under him to humbly serve There's great hope in that. There's great hope in hearing our Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. That one day hope, and also I want to exhort and encourage you who lead to hear that now. Well done. It is worth it. It is hard at times. But well done, good and faithful servants. Hear that from God's heart as you aspire to continue to lead and to serve. On a bad day, you're getting dunked. But on a good day, and there's many good days, you're helping restore a marriage, save a life, renew a church. The reward is incredibly worth it. So aspire to lead. To those who have led, thank you. Your work may be different now, but it is not done. You lead And if you're in final season of life, you lead by finishing well, pointing to Jesus, praying for all the saints. Thank you. To those who are leading, be encouraged, be strengthened. Do not give up. It is worth it. And to those who are not yet leaders, hear that call from Paul. Aspire to lead. Aspire to lead. It may be in your church, it may be in your home, it may be at your school or your workplace or in your community, but aspire to lead. Now, you do not choose to lead. Leadership is given, affirmed, entrusted, but you choose to serve. That's how leaders are made. I said I would do this in about five minutes, time me. How do you become a godly leader? You choose to serve. You aspire to lead. You aspire to be there one day, but ultimately that choosing is not yours. It's the Holy Spirit's. 
and it's others who see and affirm. So you choose to serve. You come to give. Peter, who was the leader of the church, still widely respected. Maybe it shifted the balance there to Paul as he was looked to, but Peter and Paul certainly led the church well for decades. And Peter said this in 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, everyone. And you'll hear in a moment when I read from chapter 5, Peter, the leader of the church, say, I am merely an elder within and among you. I am not greater than. I am one with you under the chief shepherd. So each one should serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. That's a decision we make to give, to serve, to love. We don't choose leadership. It's affirmed, it's entrusted, it's given to those who faithfully serve. Jesus models this. So as much as this is a message on leadership, it is a message on service. It must be. Jesus models this in his very life, Mark 10, 42. Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, think, think the leaders of the world, the rulers of the world, those, those in, those, in, in those positions, they lord it over others. They lead with power, with control, they, with domineering force. That's the way of the world, Jesus says. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you, he doesn't say don't strive to be great, to be influential, to make a difference, to lead. He affirms all those things. But he says the way you do it, it's the way I'm doing it. You serve. Those who would be great among us, amongst the church, must be servants first. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest king of kings and lord of lords, the one who has the authority that we just read Paul talk about over all things entrusted to him by God, that one came to serve. It's not the way of the world. It's not what we're called to. We're called to the way of the king. We choose to humbly serve. That's how you become a godly leader. You do it in faithfulness and to the fullest of your ability as long as you are possibly given opportunity to do so. And it will be noticed. Is that five minutes? Timer go off? The greatest of all leaders gives us some powerful pictures of how to serve. The greatest of all leaders, you remember that moment the night before he would be crucified on the cross where he's with his disciples in the upper room Two powerful things, maybe more than that. The sermon he preached, I'll add to that. Three, at least three powerful things happened. But the two maybe most significant are the pictures that he left for us. One is right before us here at the table. We continue to celebrate it 2,000 years later where he had that first meal with his friends and broke the bread and said, this will be like my body that will be broken And they could only have known so much. He'd been speaking of this for a long time, hadn't he? This day is coming. I will be taken from you. I will be crucified, but I will rise again. But they are still yet fully to know. And so I say often as we come to this table, wherever you are in your journey, if you are coming to Jesus, longing to trust him more fully and give more of your life to him, that's all you need to know. That's all they knew in that room around that table was we love this man and we're coming to know him more 
And he's inviting us into something powerful. And I long for that. So as we respond today, as we do every Sunday, to the teaching of preaching of God's word, and we come to the table as one of our responses, I invite you to come with all of your questions and all of your wonderings and all of your doubts still in place. That's exactly where Jesus met his disciples. He even invited Judas to the table. There is no restriction here for those that long to draw near to Jesus. The table is open. So that was one picture that was given. Imagine the fullness that came to them as they watched their friend die on the cross and remembered the night before with the broken bread and the shared cup. I pray it becomes real for us every moment that we do that together. The other powerful picture that we don't quite celebrate and repeat in the same way, though we are told to do so, I've preached on that enough times, is at the beginning of that meal what Jesus did. Jesus got up from the table, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed the feet of everyone in the room. That picture is, I think, the most powerful picture of servant leadership, the King of kings and Lord of lords, lords who would who would the next day redeem all peoples who trust in him, accomplish everything, finish it all. With that on his mind, wrapped a towel around his waist and washed dirty, stinky feet that have been walking through the dust and the animal-littered streets maybe all day and days upon days. He washed their feet. That picture is probably just as powerful as any other outside of the incarnation and the crucifixion where Jesus came from heaven into the womb of a teenage unwed virgin to be born in a stable. That picture of humble service to live life the way every one of us has to be raised fully man, the God of the universe, that picture can not be topped, is matched by the crucifixion the King of kings and Lord of lords, who when they mocked him upon the cross and said, if you are who you say you are, come down then, who in a moment could have come down and gone right back up again if he wanted to. That picture of humility with arms stretched, emphasizing the love he has for all peoples, and we sang about it this morning, as far as the east is from the west, there's no way to truly measure the love and service of King Jesus to all who are beneath him, and yet he came even beneath them. That's what godly leadership does. It always comes under to elevate and to serve, to wash feet, to incarnate, to come into context when it apparently is beneath us or no other person would come into that context and even to give your very life away. Those are powerful pictures of what it means to truly lead within the church. So aspire to lead. You're giving your life for the things that Jesus gave his life for. It's not the way of the world foot washing, and use that as an analogy, although I think there's right power still in the practice of that. At times, it's different. It's clearly a different culture and context that we exist in. 
But as we use it as a picture of what he did and how he served, we recognize how contrary that is to the world, don't we? To live like that, to, to be a, a, a foot washer as a leader is likely not going to get you advanced to the top position in a company. If anything, it might just lead you to be trampled. But we're not interested in the ways of the world. We're interested in the ways of the king. And this is what he promised to us. That if you live like this, if you serve like this, if you give like this, it will be noticed. Guaranteed. That's the promise. It will be seen. It may not be seen by the world or by the others that you might want to see it and take notice. It will be seen by our Father in heaven. Jesus promised it again and again. What you do in secret, your heavenly Father sees and he will reward you. I also believe in the context of a healthy body of believers that it will be seen and recognized. It must be because it drips with the very humble nature of Jesus himself, the one the church is worshiping. And so when leaders lead like that, it is noticeable. And certainly that's not the motivation for leading. But as we are seen to humbly serve, and it's affirmed by others, encouraged in us, we receive that, we give God praise and thanks, and then we wrestle with, is there more that he's asking of me for a body, for a church, for a season? Receive that if others are nudging and encouraging and asking you, have you thought about leading in a greater way? I see this gift of heart and humility in you. Many of you I've had conversations like that with. Others, maybe it will come in short order as we are desperately in need of more and more leaders as we always are. I think we're more acutely aware in this last year and for those of us, for those of you that are part of this body and know some of the transitions we've been through uh, in families and leadership, both those that have been sent out and those that have been moved in various ways, you are maybe also with us more acutely aware but this is a constant. And if this message was listened to years from now, I would think it would be just as true wherever we are. This last year as we've worked, I said I would make this a little bit Union Hill specific and give you an update. Uh, Some of the aspirations we share as elders here, this is kind of a living document, but it's grown over these years. uh, And I've more recently shared this expression of it with our broader ministry team. We have 13 aspirations as elders. And we use that language along with qualifications that Scripture sets out for its, its leaders, especially its elders, we, we have convictions that will unify us. We have a number of those listed. And then we have aspirations, things that we are aspiring to, longing for, hoping for, that we're not there yet. No, so much on that paper, on that page, is truly aspirational of nature if we rightly look at our hearts and how, how much we have to yet grow. And so of the 13, I've cherry-picked five. Let me read to you so you get a sample of the heart of aspiration that we are about. And if you're interested in seeing the full thing, I'd be happy to share that with you. Uh, It's a high call to lead within the church. And though this is written primarily for elders and for deacons, and they have some slight nuances to them, I hope it applies to so many more of us as we all have aspirations to grow rightly under the call of God. So here's five of our aspirations, to have character and behavior that is exemplary 
and above reproach. To be servant leaders motivated by Christ's love. To have both a willingness and a desire to serve. To have an eager desire to continue to grow and to learn and be accountable to one another, even receiving correction and rebuke with humility. To be faithful and quick to own and apologize for our own mistakes and failures. There's a sampling of the aspirations that we know we fall short of, but we long for, that we agree into, that are part of the high call of leading. It's not wrong to aspire to greater boldness and to greater courage in leadership, but we pray that it is added to humility and to service. To try to flip that might be impossible. To find the boldest, most courageous leader we can find, the most outspoken, the most dynamic, and ignore humility and service and say, well, we hope someday he will eventually come to see his need to be humble. It's not God's economy. And so we begin praying, Lord, keep me humble and add to me boldness, add to me courage, help me stand firm. That's the right prayer. And it shouldn't be difficult to remain humble if we'll just look in the mirror once in a while. Maybe an actual mirror, but I'm kind of referring to the, uh, the mirror of God's word, which reminds us that we fall so much shorter than we probably ever thought, and yet we are loved more deeply than we could ever imagine. That's what God's word and his gospel reminds us. And so we are constantly remaining humble before him and his call if we have the opportunity, if we have the privilege to serve. And it is one. And there's no guarantee on the length of that time. But we faithfully move forward in the strength and power of Jesus. If we serve, it is because of God's grace alone, the gifting of Jesus alone, through the working of the Holy Spirit alone. And I hope you hear that from me and from Pastor Craig and from the deacons in this church that you are blessed with, that we walk in that unity of the Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it was Jesus who gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. See, there's various giftings and roles. And it was Jesus who gave them all for the building up of the body in Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. In the next chapter of Ephesians, Paul goes on to remind this church how deeply loved they are. One of the major themes of Ephesians, that they are so deeply loved by Jesus, his bride, Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Again, this keeps us humble as leaders, recognizing we, we don't even come close to the love that Jesus has for his bride, and nor can we match it. It gives us hope. It gives us our own joy of being one of the flock of this kind of love. And it's a model for us to even aspire to. 
So those who serve and lead, they give up their lives for what Christ gave his life for. We simply join him. If any time we find ourselves praying, God, come bless this effort. I know there's nuance there. Because a right prayer is, God, this is all for you. But if we're on our own road and then we, we come to realize our, our, we're down a path without the Lord's leading, woe to us. We join Jesus in his work of redemption that has been accomplished and is being accomplished. Peter said, in 1 Peter 5, I said I would read this. This brings a number of our themes together. Hear Peter's heart as he exhorts the church. This is the broad church to believers who are scattered across Asia is how he wrote this letter. So we too receive that as part of the broad church in the same train. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, the apostle, the apostle Peter, writer of scripture, leader of the church, the one to whom Jesus said, I will, I will build the church upon you, Peter, you're the rock. He says, I'm merely an elder. To the elders among you, I'm who I'm one with. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, but a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed with you. He says this, shepherd the flock of God that is under you, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, not the ways of the world, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that can be translated senior pastor. You look at our org chart here. Jesus is the senior pastor. He's at the top. Any other title we want to take ultimately doesn't matter. Roles are important, but we are under him. We are under shepherds to the senior pastor. Just simply why I won't use that term. No offense to those who do. They probably get the same thing. It's just a distinction and to call that out. Jesus is the chief shepherd, senior pastor of every church. We are under shepherds. When the chief shepherd appears, when he comes to his church, Peter says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is a reward. And it is right to hope for and long for it. But not for selfish gain, but because it's something God has promised to those who serve Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see how these themes are coming together? So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time, he may exalt you. If our time comes to be affirmed, to be called out, to be exalted to a position of leadership that we probably weren't all that eager for, but willing to sit up on that dunk tank perch. Let it be in God's timing. There's not a rush to that. And do so with all humility. In the meantime, we serve. So we've all got work to do. There's one body. Even the Elders amongst us are merely under shepherds striving to discern and to hear God's voice to invite the body to affirm that, to join us in following Jesus, the chief shepherd. A couple notes on, like I said, where we, were, where we are at specifically. 
As we're acutely aware of, of the need to raise up leaders, especially more elders amongst us, for the last nine months or so, uh, we've been meeting together, many of you know this, your uh, expanded ministry team, if you will. About nine months ago, I asked uh, elders, deacons, and some ministry leaders, and then some other faithful servants, if they would be willing to give time to join us in this effort of how to expand and to grow and to empower more leaders, recognizing the need that we have amongst us. Knowing the need and what was being asked, at least to a degree, I was expecting as I cast a fairly broad net to about 15 people or so, that we would come to a team of seven or eight. It was kind of my thought. And we ended up with a team of 14. One, I was surprised and two, greatly encouraged that so many among you Lean in and recognize the importance and the need. And so we began meeting and praying about what this would look like, being encouraged and meeting with uh, some of our leadership in our field through the Alliance, asking for their insight and their wisdom as well. Here's what some of our goals were that we articulated at the beginning. To develop three, three things. To develop, equip, and empower more men and women for leadership and ministry. Two, to broaden leadership by creating diverse teams to lead and serve according to a plurality of giftedness. Ultimately recognizing, want to recognize all the works of the Holy Spirit and his gifting. Not just to be hands and feet coming together, but the full body coming to express leadership within the church. Number three, to expedite, this is a little more practical of nature, to expedite decision making where possible and at the same time increasing accountability for leadership across the board. So we've been meeting now for nine months and we have come to a place through, of consensus for two major things. To become more in alignment with alliance polity, which will move us into policy-type governance. Now for some of you, that's going to resonate in one way or another uh, quickly or or not, and others, are, others will probably say that, that this made no sense whatsoever. So there's an application here for all of us. On March 31st, so we're already in March, but at the end of the month, the last Sunday of the month, March 31st, 5 p.m., we're going to have a special meeting to be able to articulate some of these changes more. As we move in this, we recognize also the need to update some structures and some bylaws that are existing, and that's the process of the whole body that we are inviting you into. First with the members, those who have joined us in membership, and others who are yet to or coming to join us in membership. We invite everyone into this process. And we believe there's good things coming, that God is stirring. He is answering prayer. He is raising up leaders. On March 31st, we will be announcing a new elder who is willing to serve for the coming season, if you will affirm him. And that's an exciting thing. And so we encourage you to mark that on your calendars now. You'll be hearing more about it as we move forward. But this is the process of the whole body to come together, to affirm leaders, to recognize God's leading, to hear his voice, that this church might be on a strong foundation, we pray, for the next 87 years. I only pick that number because we're 87 years in. And as far as it depends on us, none of whom will be here in 87 years, I'm fairly certain. 
but that we would continue to lay the foundation and raise the leaders that God has entrusted to us as we all aspire to more and more of his glory and our joy. So thank you for bearing with me in that. If this isn't your church home and you're a guest with us, it's a little family business, if you will, but the importance of it cannot be measured, I believe, as God leads us into a new and changing season, as he often does. As we respond this morning, there's much to be grateful and thankful for. There's much to be uh, praising God for, and there's much work likely he wants to continue to do on our own hearts as we wrestle with his call and an aspiration to lead, to serve, and what that would look like for us. So I'll invite the team to come. Uh, What we typically do is respond with some singing and some praise, which I hope you will make your prayers. With that praying, and maybe you're singing out loud or praying from your heart, you will also join these voices and these instruments with your own prayers as you respond to what God is speaking to you. There's much to be thankful for. I hope in in a message like this, you are thankful for the leaders that God has brought into your life. Think back. Who has pursued you? Who has loved you? Who has pointed you to Jesus? Why are you in this room? If, I mean, if not for that, that man or those, that, that lady or that woman or that family or those leaders or that pastor, you wouldn't be sitting here today. That might be an earthly perspective, but a very powerful one. Give God thanks and praise. As you come to the table as we've articulated, as you're drawing near to Jesus, being reminded of the greatest leader of all, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who has loved and pursued you and drawn you to himself and is still doing so. Come humbly in the season of Lent, as Eric reminded us. Come with confession and repentance that our eyes and our heart would be fully devoted to Jesus and Jesus alone. That's our primary response. In all of this, we look to the chief shepherd, the great lover of the church, and we respond rightly. We have a chance to connect and to give and to respond in that way with cards and other gifts. Please do so as you are led. And be blessed, church. I hope you hear me. It's a great privilege to lead you, to lead this flock, to lead this body. In September, it will be 10 years. I can't even believe it, a decade. I'm ready for a decade more if you are. I'm not sure if the Lord is or you are, but I'm going forward with eyes fixed on him. And those dunk tank moments sitting on that perch are ultimately few and far between. The joy I get and the privilege I get from hearing from you, from seeing you each week, from responses and emails and prayer cards and stories and testimonies and being in life groups and being in home and gathered around tables and working alongside and playing together. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I hope you know that. I love you deeply, each one. Let's respond to the pastor who makes this possible. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for giving us your life and giving us your heart. Thank you for the pictures that we have. We have this one before us with this meal. I pray it's not rote or routine, but that we would see you as if we were sitting there as if we were reclined at that table and looking back and seeing that dirty basin of water that had been the filth on our feet and being reminded that you have cleansed it all. You've accomplished it all. You see us as righteous, pure, 
and holy. We are so undeserving, and yet you say it is so. You've loved us that deeply. May we respond like that. Not only in this moment may that be powerful as we sense your spirit at work within us, but may we respond as we walk out these doors, as we're being sent again into the fields that you've planted us in to do the work that you've called us for. Help us just serve. Help us see those that have the dirty feet around us, that are in desperate need or are hurt and broken on the side of the road. And help us give and love as you have done for us. That's our only motivation. You are so worthy. And we pray, Lord, if an opportunity to lead comes, if we're entrusted or asked or stirred or moved, that we would simply faithfully, faithfully, humbly walk forward and say, yes, Lord, as you will, willing to give our life for what you have given yours for. Fill us with hope, with joy, and with love, we pray. Amen.